Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. fans are amazing they're resilient they're tough but they're fun and i'm i'm really excited to hopefully meet a lot a lot more of you isaac has the big game then we became a real balanced offense for the playoff run which i thought was really important he put on the greatest route running exhibition i have ever seen in my life he was he was football 24 7 and that was the greatest part of of chad times at times uh, early Part, I would tell him when we were throwing deep passes, I said, don't wait too long, you know, because I'm going to get away. You ain't going to have the arm to get there. So, you know, I want to run to the ball, you know. Well, Duke, it looks like Duke's in a waiting room. I don't want to keep Duke waiting. He gave us uh, a very limited amount of time. I know he's a busy, busy man. Duke, what's going on, big dog? How you doing, buddy? Jim, how are you, man? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, hey. I'm real busy. I'm sitting on my porch. Yeah, well, hey. <laughs> Have a little drink going on there. You know, Joe Burrow has played in big games his entire life, and I would think he will be a steady hand at the at the, at the bow of the ship. And uh, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they take him all the way to the Super Bowl. I really wouldn't. Do it. watching right now on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We are live at the Holy Grail Banks down here. It is a packed house, stacked and packed. Man. Thousands, thousands inside the fake sound either. That's real. This is real sound. We got we got all the sound taken care of, the video, the audio. This is awesome. Guys, real quick tonight, we have got Shane Graham here is going to come up on stage with us here in a little bit. Shane Graham, we appreciate being here. Hey. And we have the two Ring of Honor inductees coming tonight, Willie Anderson and Isaac Curtis. Yeah. And we have Coach Paul Alexander. Let me tell you something. Coach Alexander working his ass off, fighting for Willie Hall of Fame. We'll be talking about that a little bit tonight, too. Coach Paul Alexander here tonight as well. So, guys, we appreciate you being here. This is our first time doing an event at this scale. James, I don't even know where to start, brother. I'm excited. No, I want to uh, give a shout-out to two people that uh, made this go. We've tried a couple of live ones in the past, and <laughs> it's been a struggle. So I want to thank Kick and Justin with Cincinnati Music Accelerator over there. Woo! 
and our friends from Chatterbox that are here. We're streaming live on Chatterbox from the first time as well, so we appreciate uh, them joining us. And again, we appreciate everyone for joining us that's here in attendance at the uh, Holy Grail. Who day, everybody? Hey, hey, real quick, real quick. Hey. So hold on. We've got so many people here from out of town for the game coming in early. We've got North Dakota here, right? How many Canadians we have in the house? We got Canadians over here. Hey, you're from Canada. Do you know Jamie? Yeah. Everybody from Canada. Everybody knows from Jamie. Canada knows Jamie. Hey, we got a uh, beer fest, Craig here, Cincy beer fest, Craig. We got Del Hall from 16 Lots here. Hey, if you have not had the Ken Anderson Day Drinking Lager, you got to order that. It's one yeah. of the best light beers you ever have. We got Caleb here helping us out producing. We got on the mark, Mark here with us. Um, Germany's here. Germany's we got we got here. Germany in the house, man. We hey. Yeah. Don't forget Tony the Tiger. Who Tony is the Tiger. Fighting for charities, although right now he seems to be lost. And I think Tony has an announcement. Tony? Who day? Hey, I just want to say I appreciate you guys coming out. As always, 100% of the proceeds that we get this evening are going to the Alzheimer's uh, Foundation. we got Amber Eat right over here that's helping if you haven't got into them, please do. we got some raffles for some nice items over here. As well as um, uh, Nasty Natty. Um, so uh, please uh, buy them tickets. And we also have two tickets to Thursday night games. So if you do not have tickets, please come see me. We're uh, those tickets were donated by uh, uh, who uh, gave us two tickets for them. So uh, just help us out. Appreciate you guys coming out. Who day? Who day? Hey, and everybody, just to let you know, the gun show is here. The gun show is here. <laughs> All the way from Canada. All the way from Canada. Just came from New York. He flew from Canada to the Jets game. We hung out at the Jets game together. I am. He flew in from the, uh, New York to here for the uh, I am amazed you got those two customers. Look at this guy. I, I, don't, get I do not customs. remember I don't remember much with the of the Jets game except we won. So I think you know what I think Marissa's here incognito. I think she's yeah. brunette tonight. She's brunette. Yeah, tonight. Right. Just so you wouldn't stalk her. <laughs> it's all good. If you're out there, hi. Yeah. So before we get uh, kicked off with Shane here, he's yeah. got a engagement a little bit later. We do have a special announcement. We kind of teased this last week on the show. Uh, we talked about earlier in the year, Gold Star, who's been a great uh, partner with us thus far in 2022. And we have another exciting announcement that we want to make tonight. Jimmy, go ahead. Guys, uh, hey, look, we have had some great partners this year. Uh, Gold Star Chili. Uh, we have three or four local restaurants coming to every single tailgate. Cincinnati Music Accelerators helping us with the sound at the tailgates. Guys, we have a... Huge announcement we're getting ready to make. Huge. huge. I'm talking huge. Huge. That Fred hey, so big, we don't even know. Effective today. Yeah, Jamie, we kept him out of the loop. Canadian, you know. Hey, Bet Fred Sports. Effective today. We are partnering with Bet Fred. They will be involved in every tailgate and every podcast we do. And James, I mean, this is a big deal, brother. Certainly big. We want to thank Jason and the staff at Bet Fred. As you know, January 23, gambling will be legal in the great state of Ohio. State. So, Betfred will have you ready to rock and roll to uh, place your bets. So, again, we want to uh, thank Jason for everything that he's done. Another great partner. You're going to see a lot of great activation throughout the tailgate. 
season starting even Thursday night here uh, with our Trailer Park Fluzies who will be live in Lottie with us on Thursday night. So we appreciate Jason. We appreciate the folks at Vet Fred. And stay tuned for more exciting announcements as their involvement uh, with Bengal Jim and Friends ramps up for the 2022 season. Is, hey, is, is, gambling, is gambling not legal here yet? It's legal in Indiana. Okay. Not Ohio. That's legal in January Canada. 1st. What about Kentucky? Legal is it legal in, in Kentucky? Not legal in Kentucky. Is that First why you keep texting me asking me what the spreads are? No. I you know, In Indiana, it's legal. Okay. Just not in Ohio. So stay tuned. A lot of exciting um, announcements on that, and uh, we appreciate Betfred stepping up. One more acknowledgement as we go around the globe. Yes. And local and so forth. Very local. We have the Bengals Pro Shop here today from hey, just down right. So a reminder, if you don't have your whiteout gear, uh, don't be the one guy on you know national TV who stands out because you're an Thursday night and ruin it for the rest of us. Please stop by the pro shop and get your white gear. I'm sure they still have some. They have enough. So What time no, do you open tomorrow? By. 9 a.m. 9 a.m. tomorrow at the pro shop. 10. 10, sorry. Be there at 9, though, because people will be lined up. Jamie's right. had too many jabs. Or enough. All right, Jamie. All right, hey, guys, hey, this was a last-minute addition to the show this evening. You offer Shane Graham a free beer. His ass shows up hey, right here. <laughs> so let me introduce you to one of the most accurate kickers in Cincinnati football history, Shane Graham. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Welcome. Well, I'm glad to be here. The way that the Bengals have started to embrace a lot of the alumni and a lot of the former players, it's been very refreshing to see that. Yeah, um, I, I know playing with Willie and, and knowing the, the past with Isaac, uh, you know, Willie is just one of the most top-notch guys and teammates you could have ever played with. Uh, it's a shame he's not in the Hall of Fame, and hopefully he gets there. But, um, you know, just being side-by-side side with Willie for so many years, Willie never treated me like I was just a kicker. Willie treated me like a teammate, and Willie knew that I had an obsession for my skill just like he had an obsession for his skill. Um, I think when you're able to have teammates that respect you and don't treat you like you're less than because you're not as big and you're, you don't get beat up as much or whatever – and you also work hard when, when you don't have to work hard and they see you working hard. I think they respect that as well. So that was something that I just felt like there was a mutual thing. And, and Willie was a technician. You see, you talk about guys who are not just physically gifted at a certain skill at a position, but Willie studied and Willie understood who he was going up against and how he needed to defeat that player and you look at the numbers he had over the years, and they're Hall of Fame worthy. And I think that's what makes him so special. So if we could all continue to push for Willie in the Hall of Fame, I think that would be good. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that, uh, you know, my last days in Cincinnati were very hard on me. And when I left, it was something that it, it – it, it stayed with me for a long time, and I felt like the whole world in Cincinnati hated me, and I felt very guilty about not having the best game. But the more I've been around people, the more I felt the love and the warmth from everyone, and I really appreciate that.
Shane Love. In so, earning some of that love, though, you made a lot of big kicks. Well, and, and you know what? For for the couple misses that were there, that I obviously hated and regretted that they didn't go the way I wanted them to go. There were a lot of makes, and 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 that's something that, as a specialist, you have to hold on to the positives to continue your confidence. And there were a lot of those makes. You, I mean, certainly had. If you're a kicker, with all the pressure you have on you, you've got to have you know nerves of steel. Did you ever lose your long snapper in the middle of the game? And if you had, would you have hit the panic button? You know, uh, my my last season in Cincinnati, um, so Brad St. Louis, and many people don't know this, but Brad St. Louis just did not finish out the season the way that we knew he could finish. And we ended up bringing in Clark Harris. And that's when Clark Harris took over for Brad St. Louis. But what a lot of people don't realize and I, I won't give all the details, is that, that Brad St. Louis lost his father like right before the season and was dealing with some very personal demons along his personal life. And people tend to forget that even though guys are pro athletes, they're still humans, they still have emotions, and, and Brad was going through a lot. So I never, ever resented Brad because we had a bad snap or anything like that. And when, when Clark came and took over for Brad – I continue to be close with Brad over the years and, and because of connections like Brad and uh, Kyle Larson and Kevin Huber and, and Willie and Frosty Rucker and all these other guys that I played with over the years, Corey Dillon. I mean, I could literally list off so many players that I was close with. I had more of a connection in my playing career with Cincinnati and that's why I came back and retired as a Bengal yep. to, fin to, to end my career. So, Shane, that, so that, that actually leads to a question I want to ask you. The kicking uh, game, is it how much percentage of it is technical versus mental? <laughs> versus mental uh, it, is, it is 10% physical and 90% okay. mental. mental. And, and it's so hard to understand that if, if you've never done it, but you think about golf, yeah. okay? How many of us who go out on a golf course – we know we can hit a good golf ball. Wow, uh, you We've haven't seen me. You haven't seen me golf but, before, but yeah, I get it. But I'm saying, like every now and then, yeah. you, you hit one good, and you're like, "Oh shit, you I know, know I can do it. Do it, yeah." But it's the mental part of replicating that skill over and over. And what you see in high level college football and high level uh, NFL football is people that come as close as possible to replicating a skill over and over, but. There's those people that set themselves even higher because they mentally are able to keep that focus and keep that uh, repeatability in their skill. And we're also human. Yep. And those things sometimes have things that, that keep you off of that straight path. Yeah. And with kicking, yes, you've got to have a good snap. You've got to have a good hold. You've got to have protection. But even with all those things being perfect, you still have to execute and perform. And it's just because as, as a normal fan, as a person who is looking at a kicker kicking a field goal, we'd see it on TV and it looks so easy right. because guys make it look easy and the, the guys don't get beat up and they don't get bloody and their jerseys clean after the game. But you don't realize like what it is they do is actually a very hard skill to do. And when guys are able to do it and make it look so easy, we take it for granted. And I'll admit, I, I took it for granted in my own career. 
and it's realizing there's no such thing as a chip shot. Everything is you have to have focus and mental drive on every single time you perform. And sometimes it gets the best of us and we have to learn from that and move on to the next one. Okay, the one thing I, can I ask one more? Sorry. Yeah, the one thing I've always wanted to ask a kicker and maybe for some of the people here who sit in the end zone, how much of a distraction are those people in front of you waving their arms with signs and yelling miss? Uh, how much of a distraction does that actually cause? To be funny. <laughs> uh, honestly, I never saw that until I saw the TV copy. Okay. Because, you know, you're so locked into a process. And, you know, movies try to make it look like tunnel vision and everything's blurry outside of it. It's not really like that. What it's really like is you're creating a process that you are trying to replicate and focus on to distract you from the fear of failure. So when you line up on the field, everyone um, tries to decide, can I do this or can I not do this? Or am I afraid of not doing it more than can I do it? So when you create your process, your process has you locked in and you're focusing on every little thing you're doing into that movement, and then you actually do it or you don't do it. Yeah. It's, it's, and then you have to build your confidence in order to be in that situation. My favorite analogy for having confidence and, and, and relying on your process and your confidence is it's another golf analogy. If you can imagine this, would most people know what the 17th green at TPC Sawgrass is? Yeah. It's an island green. If you're a golfer and you're an average golfer and someone gives you a $10 golf ball and says, this is the best golf ball you can use, would you take that $10 golf ball and put it on the tee to hit it at that island green? Or would you take that scuffed up golf ball you found in the woods? Scuffed up all the way. Okay. In that process, you have immediately set yourself up for being afraid of hitting it in the water. That's smart. So that's the mental mindset you have to have every time you kick a football is you have to believe that every time you go out there, you're going to have your best performance versus guarding against the, the result that might happen. So that's the best analogy right. I can I think of. That, that's, that's interesting stuff. So, Shane, I got a real serious question here. Um, guys, please pay attention to this question. There was a coach that once said, I asked the coach, are kickers athletes? His response was, it's debatable. Are kickers <laughs> athletes or not? That was Paul Alexander, by the way. <laughs> Let me say this. If you look at me right now, that, that's hard for me to answer. But um, I've seen some that are very good and very talented athletes, and I've seen some get away with not being the best athlete. It's an athletic skill, so I think it's a very hard question to answer because I've seen guys get away with it that weren't the best athletes, but I've also seen other position players get away with it that weren't the best athletes just because of other physical gifts. All right, I say that as a joke. It's debatable still. It's, still <laughs> it's debatable. debatable. You know what? So I will agree with Paul on that. It actually is debatable. But I can't remember, and we'll we're relying on our, our historian here, big old historian. Shane Graham set an NFL record for the most tackles by a kicker in a game. Uh, so I would say he's not scared, uh, and he's a damn athlete. You're the athlete. I, I, I did have two in one game, but I think the record was most in a season. 
and I had seven solos and four assists in 2005, which probably helped get me voted into the Pro Bowl. And it's also, it also, it also plays into maybe if I had more touchbacks, I wouldn't have had so many tackles. But I know we'll let that go. Today, when Evan McPherson goes for a tackle, okay. everybody in the stands is screaming, "No, don't do it." When you made those tackles, especially that season, he came off was Darren Simmons or Marvin Lewis waiting for you saying, "Don't do that." Uh, or get in the way, be a safety, or you know, even even when I was at my best, I was nowhere near as physically and mentally talented. So I don't know that there was that much of a gasp for, for air for me getting hurt. Um, I know that people respected me and 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 knew that I had talent to be good, but yet uh, Evan is just special, and and it's a special kind of special, but. If it's anything I hope Evan would understand and any other kicker or punter is that you still put on pads like everyone else and you still have to understand leverage. You still have to understand tracking a hip. You still have to understand how contact works with running your feet. You still have to understand that your job is still tackling if you have to. And that also keeps you from getting hurt. The more you know how to tackle, the more you protect yourself from getting hurt. We have a we have a fan question. Hold on one second, Jimmy. Uh, one question. It's been a couple of years now since they moved the extra point back, Shane, and we want to thank you for joining us. What's your thoughts on that? You know, the word on the street was, "Man, it, it's too easy. It's just a, a layup now for that extra point. Getting that one point is is just a give me." So it's been what two, three years now since we've seen that extra point move back. What's your thoughts on that whole process? You know, the, the extra point in general to me is, is something that I came to respect a lot differently later in my career. Um, the challenge for me to want to pick one side or the other is that whether it's a 33-yard PAT or a 21 or 20-yard PAT, whatever it is, um, the guys in front of you, that is two seconds of absolute hell. And you've got guys that are literally just getting teed off on. And it's almost not fair. And, and I, I, when I watch it now as, as a former player and coach, I see that and I'm like, holy crap. Like these guys are literally just trying to anchor as hard as they can and try to keep some sort of an inside out, you know, inside hand, outside hand punch, like something to keep penetration from getting through without getting too low or without getting too high. And you see these guys come out with knee injuries because the pile falls down sideways on someone's knee or whatever. And I think more about those guys. So the fact that the skill of kicking the PAT became such a regularly seen 99.999% thing from, from 20 yards, I think it's working out okay, you know, to have it from 33 yards. But I still like, I still think about the guys that end up having to get teed off on every time now. So that's, it's, it, it's such a different way of thinking than I used to. Shane, Shane, we got a, a question from Chris from Independence. Uh, he was asking about your most memorable kick as a Cincinnati Bengal. My, uh, there, there's two of them, I guess, but I, I, I'll give my first. My first was our first primetime game in 2004. I think it was our first primetime game since maybe 1991. We were playing the Miami Dolphins on a Sunday night game. 
and we had not had a primetime game in forever, I guess. And we ended up, uh, it, was a, it was a tight game. We ended up kicking a 36-yarder from the right hash into the, is, it, is the Riverside, the south side? Yeah, the south end of the end zone. It was my first NFL game winner. And uh, that, to me, is my most memorable kick. I mean, I remember so many memories from that, but I remember the feeling of it was the first time that I felt like I had a really big hand in helping win a game. Very cool. That's awesome. So, hey, Shane's got an important dinner date tonight. Uh, so I'm not sure if uh, – how much more time you got there, Shane? A couple minutes? Five, Five minutes. minutes. Five minutes. You got a question right here? Go ahead. The, the point of the defensive players just backing off the play. So what that does is it, it creates a deterrence for any type of a fake. That's the first thing. And I realize that a PAT, you're probably not going to fake it when you can just put the ball in a two and go for two. But, but also, a lot of the times, you want to make someone think they have to commit to a block. And if you pull out of it, it makes someone whiff, who maybe you've seen on film is not very technically sound. So if you see a guy that's going to commit to a block and no one's there, they might fall on their face, and then someone can jump over their back leg. So there's, there's always things you try to do to keep people on their toes. It, it, I'd say a lot of it has to do with what you see on film and how you scout throughout the week on your opponent. You go. Tom. Yeah. Oh, okay. Shane, uh, one thing with coming up this year is the change, like we talked about in the middle of the year with the snap and the hold and so forth. Did you have, you know, it's pretty clear that Evan and Kevin Huber got very close very quickly. Did you have that kind of relationship with uh, with your holder? I mean, was were you ever nervous about losing one of your guys that was going to mess you up? I, um, whenever you get a holder that you really have good chemistry with and you gain confidence in, you, no matter what or who it is, if you lose them or if someone replaces them, you can't think about it because your only thing you can focus on is your process and what you can control. And if you start letting these other variables start coming in, then you've immediately already started that down that downslope into losing your confidence. So it really just is a matter of how much discipline do you have to not worry about outside factors. I mean, and, and that's a big, that's a huge analogy on life in general. You can only control what you can control. So it does no good to sit there and, and, and stress over, because what happens is when you have any type of fear, a fear of a result or fear of anything, you create a hesitation or a flinch. And flinching and hesitation will do nothing to help you, so you have to stay away from it. Well, Shane, we want to be cognizant of your time. We appreciate you uh, joining us up here. As Jimmy said, you have a, uh, a dinner reservation coming up. So let's give uh, Shane Graham a round of applause for joining us.
Thank you very much. Thank you, Shane. Thank you. I, I appreciate you guys. I love all of you. Who day? Who day? We love you, buddy. Now, I see a couple people here I've already bought drinks for wearing the Talking Football shirt. Anyone else here wearing that shirt? Well, thanks, buddy. Your fellow Canadian back there. Is anyone else wearing that shirt? Can you get you a drink on me if you're wearing that shirt? So, is anybody else wearing Gentlemen, can you just show people that shirt? Anyone else wearing that shirt tonight? Because if you do, you get a free beer on me. We got two more over here, Jamie. Two more over here. I already, I already bought them. Hey, you know what? You know what? Where are you from again? Canada. Canada. I, it's a bit. Hey, hold on. You got to pay Canada's, Canada's a really big country. Whereabouts? Right, whereabouts? Where? Kelowna, BC. All right, BC's now. So all right, all right. All right, it's time to get those orange raffle tickets out. Everybody's got the orange uh, raffle tickets. We're going to give away some prizes here before we continue with the guests. Tony, you want to go ahead and do the honors? All right, now uh, we're giving away some of these chains. And I uh, want to thank Rob Boyle, who makes these chains. You guys have seen these around the stadium before. He donated these to us. Uh, so our first winner for the Ken Anderson Ring of Honor chain goes to 3410050. What's that? These are the orange tickets. These are the orange tickets. These are the free ones. Correct. That's a good bingo. All right, let's do uh, two more here. We got one more for a Ken Riley uh, chain. It's uh, <laughs> three, four, one, zero, four, seven. Oh, Greg Lowe in the house. All right, last one for now. We'll do some more here in a little bit. This one's my favorite one. Uh, actually, Jimmy's jealous of this one. It's the Paul Brown Ring of Honor. It's got a picture of Paul Brown in it, so it's pretty cool. All right, so that winner's going to be 341014. I got it. That's fine. Got it right there. All right. We'll get some more out here in a few minutes. Thank you. It's not too late if you need to get a raffle ticket. Anne-Marie, raise your hand. We do have raffle tickets. 100% of those proceeds go to the Alzheimer's Association. Where's my man Mark at? Is he out there drinking? Mark, we do have the uh, Bengal Gym t-shirts if you want one of those t-shirts. See Mark. And without further ado, Jimmy, who's our next guest? Guys, everybody, hey, uh, kind of an unannounced uh, guest here. Uh, everybody, Anybody in this room, by show of hands, ever heard of Black-Owned? Black owned, black owned. All right. So we got the owner of black owned, not just black owned store. We got the coffee shop. Man, I'm telling you that, hey, the chai tea they got, I'm telling you, the stuff's really good. Hey, so we got a new line of stuff coming out here by Means Cameron from Black Owned called Stripes Don't Come Easy. Uh, Means, tell, tell everybody what's going on with that big dog. What's going on? How y'all feeling, Houday Nation? I'm going to feel good to be just like together right now. You know, we didn't win our first two games, but you know how this is going to play out, right? I know how this is going to play out. So, first of all, I just want to say thank you to James and Bengal Jim, man, for always inviting us in. So, in 2020, when the Bengals was like 4-11 and 11 by the time we had dropped the capsule, and things weren't as, you know, sweet as it is now, we, we launched the capsule, Stripes Don't Come Easy. 
And uh, it's all about how our brand started out the trunk. And it took us a while to get to an opportunity like this and how the Bengals historically haven't been the best team, but we wake up every morning still ready to root them on. So stripes don't come easy is what we, we coined the, the capsule. And the first capsule did really well, and it, it started to even really take off once the team started to wear. We had Joe, Joey wear the jacket. Uh, I mean, we had all the guys pretty much, like um, Tyler Boyd, um, Von Bell. All the guys really showed up for us. But more importantly, we're launching the second installment of this capsule next week. This is one of the samples. I'm just testing it out. It's not here yet. But please support the capsule. It'll be online, blackon19xx.com. We appreciate y'all. Just want the opportunity to be leaders in our space, you know? So, thank so, you. We appreciate you uh, joining us. What was it, the, uh, two years ago, the draft in uh, Cleveland means you were on stage presenting, what was it, uh, the second round pick when you were on stage? Yeah. Yeah. It was last year. In Cleveland, right? Yeah, Cleveland. 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 Yep. So you might have seen him there. And Means was also uh, an integral part of our Super Bowl party in Los Angeles last year. So we had a time in LA. LA. Yeah. Who here was at the Super Bowl party last year? Yeah. That was a lot of fun. So again, we appreciate everything Means done. A big part of the uh, community here. The clothes that he has—that's the first time I've seen that. That's that is that is nice. Hey, you think, hey. I know this is nice, but Thomas got something on here that I'm going to buy when it comes out. Thomas, unzip this thing. If you can see, this is a, what do you call it, embroidered? Like it's a inlay, the 1968-69 Bengals logo. Unzip that thing. Reversible. We got the white. We got the white now. Is this the debut right here? Live at Bengals? I guess so. I didn't know, but it's <laughs> happening right now. Can we it's do too it? late. We already in there. Let's oh, do it. <laughs> You've seen it. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so, so now that we did the uh, from my impromptu uh, debut, that was real impromptu. There's, so I got I got to mention this launch party. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? We gotta we gotta redo our whole marketing strategy. <laughs> but I'm glad you all did that. But I gotta say this: so we're, these are still samples. We're tweaking it in the final version, which you'll see Elizabeth when probably in the game Thursday has black stripes. So don't become confused. The final version actually has black stripes, but we tested out this 3M look. So when it snapped the picture, but we want black. So it's not the final it's version will be black. Stripes don't come easy. So uh, means we have a lot of people obviously here in the house tonight at the Holy Grail, but we have a lot of people that tune in online. If somebody is not local to Cincinnati, they want to purchase one of your great products, how do they do that? Yeah, I'll, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, at On Black On. That's helpful. We drop a lot of, you know, uh, dope content there. And then the website is blackown19xx.com. So that's blackown19xx.com. And, yes, we are a Cincinnati-based brand. I grew up in the West End. My mom is a diehard Bengals fan. It's in my blood. So uh, we all in it together. All right, let's give a round of applause for Black Owned. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thank you, time. Bangle Jim putting somebody else on the spot. We have an impromptu debut here. Any, anybody else have a surprise about we Yeah, are, uh, we can come up on stage. Oh, look. 
Rick, we have a Syracuse alumni, undefeated Syracuse, Fiona alumni in the house tonight. You know we're not going to go a whole Bengal Jim show without mentioning Syracuse. Before Lock it up, does anyone have a surprise? I don't want anyone to know yet. We can announce here. Anybody? No? <laughs> Any pregnancy announcements? What? Don't worry. Pregnancy? Who's pregnant? We're just trying to ruin other people's surprises. That's all. Where are we going? We got a microphone here. We got yeah. a mic. We go. So we got, uh, we still got Willie. Willie's on the way. Isaac's on the way. Isaac's down at the, uh, I started to say Paul Brown Stadium, <laughs> but he's down at uh, Paycor Stadium right now. Paycor doing some video, Stadium. So he's on the way here right now. What chair? We got WCPO here. Who we got? WCPO, right? We got WCPO in the house here tonight. Who? Okay. On film, on video. I tell you what, I'm going to give up my seat here. Let's get Dave up here. Let's get Paul up here and start talking with these Bangor Vates. Dave looks thirsty. You want water, pop, beer? What do you want, Dave? I'll do some water. Go ahead, uh, Jimmy. You want to sit in the middle, Dave? Dave and Paul. You want to sit? Paul, you want to sit here? Sit here. All right. We will walk around. If you have a question, go ahead and raise your hand. Flag me down. We'll walk around for the uh, questions. Without further ado, we're going to turn it over to uh, Jimmy to introduce our special guest. Hey. This is a, hey, I'm, I'm a rose between two thorns up here right now. Um, hey, Paul Alexander and Dave Lapham, two Cincinnati football legends. Give them a big round of applause, guys. Thank you. So, hey, Co hey Willie's on the way. Willie's on the way right now. But I'm going to start it off with, with Coach, uh, no, I'm good. Coach, Coach Alexander right here. So, Paul, talk about what you as a coach, uh, what it means to you as we see Willie Anderson, Isaac Curtis go into the ring of honor here at Paycor Stadium uh, this Thursday night. Well, let me tell you something. I look out here and I see all you people, and uh, it's pretty impressive. You know, it uh, kind of gives me chills a little bit because I spent 23 years coaching for this great team, and uh, I have goosebumps a little bit. It's an honor to to see such passionate people here for the Bengals and and I love the Bengals, I'm just telling you. My, my kids have grown up Bengals, my grandson's a Bengals fan, and I every Sunday I cheer for you and I, and I hope you do well, and, and it's really exciting to see everyone. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. But you asked what it's like, I can talk about Willie. You know, uh, I wasn't here with Isaac, although I'm old, I'm not quite that old. Um, <laughs> Willie was, <laughs> Lapham is. I am, yeah. <laughs> I am. In fact, Lapham was, let me tell you about Lapham. Lapham covered us all the time. And usually these media people, they ask you a question, and you can bullshit your way out of it. You know what I mean? You can kind of talk around. You can say this. You can say that. And they, and they oh, yeah, and they, they write it down, and they're all good. But Lapham, he'd ask me a question, and you couldn't bullshit Lapham. You know what I mean? Because he, he understood offensive line, of course, you know, and uh, – so every now and then he would ask me some questions. And I'd be like, God damn it, Lapham. I mean, yeah. <laughs> anyways, Willie Anderson going in the Hall of Fame or the Ring of Honor, excuse me. He's going in the Hall of Fame next year. Yes, by the he way. is. Yes, he is. I, I kind of, uh, what's going to be very special for me on Thursday night 
Willie's going to bring me one of his game jerseys that he played in. Nice. And he's going to let me wear that on Thursday. And it's going to be so amazing because that guy, I was young. I was 30 years old when we drafted him, something like that. And we grew together. And um, we spent so, almost the entire career together. And he was so fantastic. It was unbelievable. He, he, could, he could sit there and watch plays, very few plays of a rusher, and he'd know immediately what he had to do to that guy. He had a natural understanding of how to block people unlike anyone I'd ever been around before. And um, in just so many ways, I, I'm so excited to uh, see him going on Thursday. I'd I like to hear the same response from, uh, from Lap here about Willie. Yeah, I mean, what, what Paul's saying, Willie's uh, the thing about the great ones, they're physically gifted, but they're mentally gifted too. And foot, Willie had a football IQ. You know, Willie would uh, – he, he would look and see things going on around him, you know, instead of just tunnel vision on what was going on and who he was blocking. He wanted to know why he was blocking him. He wanted to know what was going on around him. He could see things around him that most tackles wouldn't even bother trying to look for. You know, I mean, he had that he, – he saw the big picture, and uh, it just makes him – it takes him to another level. I mean, it makes the good ones – it makes the average player great or good and the good player great, and Willie's – great so it makes him like a superhero and uh the guy the guy is you know gifted like yeah. isaac curtis was a world-class sprinter isaac curtis ran a 9300 in in college he, he could have been on he could have been a gold medalist in the olympics guys that won the gold medal in the olympics uh he beat them when he was at cal he beat him as a track and field guy but big yeah. willie right here yeah. there we get a ovation yeah. for the ring of honor member willie anderson well, we can stop saying good things about Willie because I remember this from coaching. You never say good things when the player can hear you. You only say bad shit. You know what I mean? Hold on, hold on, coach. Hey, would you ever let your damn players wear black and yellow? No, no, Willie. What is up with that? This my. We'll let it slide. We'll let it slide. <laughs> hey, let's give it up for Willie Anderson, baby. Ring of Honor, future Hall of Famer, right here. Yo, yo, happy to be here. Happy to be here. Just saying how uh, how gifted athletically you, you know you are. It, used to be. Used to be. Used to be. But I mean, what would you? Eighteen Triple E. Is that right? Quadruple E. Or? I don't really know the triple E, but I know it's 18. 18. I got to tell that That's story. That's the feet there now. I, I got to tell this story. Yeah. This is a great one. You're not going to believe it, but it's true. When Willie was a rookie, all right, he was with Nike. And Nike did not make a football shoe <laughs> big enough for him. Honest to God. They did, not. they did not have a football shoe that was big enough for his feet. <laughs> so they decided to make their own prototype shoe. Right? And they took a piece of leather and screwed in some screws and put like old I mean, it looked like a pair of shoes from 1940. I'm not kidding you. Right? And they gave him to, <laughs> was like, I'm not wearing these things, you know? He gave him to Brock Gutierrez. Right? Brock, unfortunately, threw them out years ago because it would be fantastic to see them now. Right? Willie played his entire rookie year, I kid you not, on basketball shoes. 
That's right? That's on right. grass. That's wow. Right. We played in Jacksonville during a, a, a hurricane, typhoon, whatever you want to call it. It was pouring, and he's out there slipping around like hell. Me, of course, I'm cussing him out, you know. And, but believe me, trying to play with ice skates on an ice is hard, you know. And uh, I forgot about that. Like, they, they did not make it. And I've been dealing with shoe problems since I was 14 years old. Like, I think Coach Trickett, it's funny. My, my college coach, Coach Trickett, Rick Trickett, he sent me a pair of shoes, probably broke, broke, some, broke some rules. He sent me a pair of shoes my 10th grade year. He was coaching at Texas A&M. Because my high school coach went out and put out a whole broad thing across the, across the country that I didn't have any shoes. So I was 14 years old, wearing a size 18 shoe. And 1989, Nike just did not wear, make those kind of shoes. Fast forward to 96, they still weren't making those kind of shoes. You know what I mean? So I dealt with hell for a couple of years, you know, until Nike realized that football players were, were wearing shoes over the size of 14 years. 14 yeah, and really always uh, knew the value of money. Because I was like, well, if Nike don't got them, I'll bet maybe Adidas does or something like that. And he's all, oh, no, 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 they're paying me. I got to stay with Nike. There you go. Okay, so 18 shoe. And we talk about in sports, everything starts with feet and ends with your hands. Look at these hands. So, so how, how big are these hands, Willie? I mean, look at them. Those things are massive, man. When Willie got his hands on you, it was over. You were done. It was, see you later, locked up, in prison. Coach Alexander, um, to start this odyssey that ends at the, uh, the Ring of Honor Thursday, and then the next logical step, which is all of us being up in Canton, when he unveils his bust. What was the scouting report on Willie Anderson when you went down to Auburn to look into him, to scout him, to watch him on tape? What stood out initially in other than screaming at him in Jacksonville, what did you have to work on him with his rookie year? No, he was fantastic as a rookie. Um, my first memory of knowing that Willie, that I wanted Willie, I was at the combine, sitting in the end zone, and they had a drill where you'd block down and pull around and hit the other guy with a bag. And when he pulled around there with the quickness and athleticism and explosiveness and everything, I saw that and I said, oh my God, I've never seen anything like that before. And at that moment, I knew that I very much wanted him. Then we went down to Auburn where, uh, you know, the people down there were unbelievable. His coach, Rick Trickett, you know, he could have uh, been Willie's publicist. I mean, he was beautiful in promoting him. <laughs> and uh, we went out on the field and we did the drills. And I did a drill where I had really just put his arms out. I'm sure you remember it, right? Mm -hmm. He put him out and the goal was to push his arms down. And I could push everyone's arms down. I mean, come on, right? I literally could not move his arms. <laughs> I could if if I were able to do a chin up, right. I could have done a chin up on his arms. Right? He was that strong, and I was like, "Oh my lord!" And then he he came and he comes into training camp late, right? Really, really. He comes in late. He's holding out, you know that kind of crap. Well, you tell him what happened when you came into Wilmington College. You signed your contract, and about an hour later, what happened? Uh, our labor, so I, I literally gave my contract to my financial guy, and Paul was like, okay, that's bullshit over. Let's go on the field. <laughs> I'm like on the field now, and so that day at practice, you know, instead of just easing guys in, you know, you, you ease your rookie who've been holding out for three weeks of holding out. Um, I went against Javon um, Langford. Javon Langford about twenty-five times pass rushes back to 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 back. And I, I'm like, this dude's crazy. Like, what's wrong with him? Like, Go again. I'm like, damn. So 
Paul was trying to get all the days I held out out in one practice. <laughs> and I ended up falling out that day, too. I passed out. <laughs> I remember your rookie year. Um, I think it was your rookie year. Maybe I know it was early in your career. That one-on-one with uh, John Copeland. Mm-hmm. And Cope could run stuff. I mean, John Copeland yeah, was a two-gapper. He, he, he could two-gap a, you know, a large animal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, so Willie gets up against him, and and uh, and it's like boom! It's it's two forces of nature going at each other, and, jo- and Willie stands him up, and all of a sudden John Copeland's eyes get as big as hard-boiled eggs, and he goes over, pancake, flattens back, and I look, and I'm like, woo! Bengals got something here. This guy can drive block. Copeland and- Cope, Cope taught me how to. John Copeland taught me how to run block because you know John Copeland was a legend at Alabama. You know the state I grew up in, so I, I grew up in high school watching him. He was a legend down there, and my first my first couple couple of days in practice after going pass rush, Paul had me going against Copeland, and Copeland was an unbelievable run stopper. And I, I weighed him at least sixty pounds, maybe, and I couldn't I couldn't figure out like why can I move this guy? Like so, laps out laps out the one rep where I got him good, but you got him, man. the rest before that though, I was like, damn, the NFL is really hard because I know I'm bigger than this guy, but I can't move him. And it was all about you know. Coping how to get his hands inside and, and understood leverage and but once I understood that my leverage was me getting my hands under his hands, you know, then I'm, I'm gonna win. He was a rookie. We're getting ready to play Buffalo. You know this story. I've told it many times. We're getting ready to play Buffalo, and he's gonna, he's a rookie. He's gonna play Bruce Smith, right? The all-time leading sacker in NFL history, three hundred of them, right? And we're stretching. Willie's down there sitting on the ground stretching his hurdler stretch or whatever he's doing and i come up and i kneel down right in front of him i look him right in the eye i said willie bruce smith is not going to kill you and willie looks up like really i said he might kill a fucking quarterback but he's not going to kill you all right just so you know all right and it was kind of in my head though that kind of calmed me down i'm like yo he's not trying to kill me like he's trying to kill blake yeah you know what i mean so that, that did kind of, in a strange way, kind of calm me down, you know what I mean? And it, it made me laugh, too, because my high school coach, uh, great by, great guy by the name of Harold Clark, late Harold Clark, my, my high school won the state of Alabama's first, ESPN's first national championship. My high school won in 88. I was, wow. in, eight, I was in the eighth grade. Wow. I got there in 89, and one of the things that Coach Clark did was he would talk trash to you, like to all the seniors, like, this guy going to beat your ass, you're going to lose this rep, you're gonna, they're going to kill you tomorrow. So the freshman, they threw me in the, in the lineup on ESPN as a freshman, 14-year-old freshman. I got destroyed, by the way. But before the game, he was telling me, this guy going to kill you. He's 20 years old. I'm like, I'm scared <laughs> as hell. Like, like, like it's, it's the reverse of me. He's trying to hype me up. But I was, I, was, I was nervous as hell. So when Paul came and told me that my rookie year, I was like, yo, you know what? I'm going to use that. Like, he's not trying to kill me. Like, because as a lineman, you, you see these guys. I mean, you're a young rookie guy. You say, yo, Bruce Smith is going to freaking kill me. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And that stuff goes in your head. Right. And he was doing it jokingly, and I, I think he was doing it jokingly and kind of like trying to calm me down. But it did actually did kind of calm me down because Bruce Smith was, was my idol. I wanted to be – I was growing up, every office alignment don't want to grow up to be an office alignment. Maybe now they do. But back then, I wanted to be Bruce Smith or Reggie White. So my rookie year off the bat facing, facing Bruce Smith, I'm like, damn, he's going to hero. Him. Yeah. That's my hero. Yeah. But when Paul said that, that did kind of like calm me down. And um, I feel okay against him. Uh, did, did okay. Did okay. 
Hey, uh, Willie, before we go any further, I'm with your buddy Floyd here from Happy Pizza, straight in front of you. We're worried. You've been talking all day. What type of drink do you need that we can bring up to you? Hey, that's, by the way, that's Isaac Curtis right there. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody outside said, hey, Isaac, sign my, sign my <laughs> That is the ugliest <laughs> Isaac. That's great. Right. What drink can we get you? Nice. Uh, uh, Mick Ultra? Yes, yeah. Yes. Mick Ultra. Right, I got Ultra. next question. We got a, we need another Mick Ultra here too. So hey Willie, Willie, we got a question for you. So guys, hey, we are here to see. Hold on, hold on, man. My guy did a D right. Hold on, hold on, guy. I gotta stop this. Oh shit. Oh shit. My God, man. What's up, man? How you doing, man? This is Bo- Coach Bildinger. He was a long time. Uh, look at that. Look at that. Offensive line coach at Hamilton High School. <laughs> He's one of my buddies, and he, when he retired, he was the equipment man down at the bank. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, there you go. So, Willie, so, look, we're here to celebrate our Bengal legends. We got legends going into the Ring of Honor. We had Ken Riley that took the next step, get into the Hall of Fame. We're going to talk about some Hall of Fame with Willie here in a second, because he will be in the Hall of Fame here at some point soon. Uh, yeah. Jungle to the hall, man. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. We're going to see more of our legends go into the hall. But I got, we got a question that I know a lot of fans were asking. So Thursday night, whiteout. Everybody's going to be wearing white at that stadium. Uh, white helmets. Uh, everybody's excited about it. But really, you being inducted at halftime, you being inducted to, at halftime into the, the Bengals ring of honor, a very special uh, privilege. So how did you find out about it? And tell everybody here, uh, and everybody's viewing right now on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, how did you get contact? How did you find out about this? Uh, well, you know, I was at home doing something at home, and I, I saw the 513 number come up, and um, I knew it was the Cincinnati office. So when I got it, um, a familiar voice came on the phone. They would say, Willie, this is Mike Brown. I said, Mike Brown, Mike Brown? And then he, said, <laughs> I, he said, yes. I said, Mike Brown from the Bengals? I said, oh, what's going on, Mike? He said, he said um, I'm calling to tell you you made the ring of honor. And I started yelling on the phone. Huh. Uh, but typical Mike, Mike showed no emotions. He was like, he waited for me to stop. <laughs> and he kept talking again. And um, he basically just told me, you know, um, what the process would be over the next two months um, and how everything would go, how, how proud he was of me. He told me Isaac was there, which I was, I was really encouraged by because, you know, I was one of the guys, Paul will tell you this, um, I came up here in 2010 to, I think, when I first started, wanted to do um, um, training and kind of get into coaching. Paul brought me up in 2010. Um, and one of the things uh, Mike Brown told Paul was like, hey, tell Willie not to mention the ring of honor thing right now. Because at, at that time, I was I was mentioning a lot. But what I found out was he was planning on doing it. You know what I mean? He was planning on doing it. But I was like really hard. I'm like, yo, why would I have a ring of honor, ring of honor, ring of honor, ring of honor? So when he he called me to say that, you know what I mean? He told me, said, I know you've been pushing for this for a long time. And um, I just appreciated him saying those words and, and understanding how much it meant to us players and, um, you know, you guys know on Twitter, I said last year on Twitter that I, I wish some of the older guys would go in first because, you know, let's be honest with you, we are like, you know, 40 years behind this thing. So um, I've never thought to be going in this early. I really appreciate it. You know what I mean? Um, from the fans. We love you, really. in, You know what I mean? Thought, but, uh, you thought this call was going to go something like this. <laughs> really? This is Mike Brown. I'm calling to tell you we've been doing some inventory. (laughs) And we found that you still have a helmet that you haven't (laughs) 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 turned 
True. Or we overpaid you at 08. But, but I tell folks all the time, man, you know, Mike Mike did good by me. Like, you know, you know, maybe maybe early in the 90s, things were kind of crazy. But as things went went on and Paul said, it's like Paul has seen so many. He has so many stories of the Bengals, uh, you know, highs and lows. And, you know, once we were together when there were some lows, even even though my rookie year wasn't a, a total low because we, we went eight and eight. I think we was like one game for making the playoffs. Then the next year uh, with Boomer, we went 79. I think we went like 72 the last right. nine games. So right. I personally thought the first two years were like, oh, this is great. They, they were all wrong about this thing. But then once we lost Boomer, we, we went through a stretch from like 98 to 02, basically. There were some dark times. And then, um, you know, we both were here when Marvin came around. We, we both were just so, just so happy the things that Marvin was implementing. I think we both were more shocked that Mike was letting him do it. But we found out that Mike kind of wanted those things to happen, and it was just you know circumstances that things couldn't happen. But after that, once Marvin got going, like you know, we couldn't you couldn't really say that Mike Brown didn't pay anybody. Like, right. you know, he paid me three times. He right. paid Carson a hundred freaking million dollars. You know what I mean? So that narrative of the Bengals kind of you know went out the way after the nineties. But there were some times we went through you know early on that was it was kind of crazy. But once I think we would say once Marvin got here. 03, things kind of really kind of changed for the better of the franchise. And I think the guys now kind of benefiting off what they started with the organization in 03 with Marvin and his coaching staff. You know, I, I think uh, you, you, make, you make a great point. I mean, Mike Brown paid quarterbacks. He made Boomer the highest paid quarterback, made Carson the oh, highest wow, paid okay. quarterback. Um, but it was that that's the position that he really respected. You know, other mm. positions he didn't have as much respect <laughs> for. There's no doubt. But the thing I really respect about you, you talked about those, you know, darker times. Well, from, from a media standpoint, you know, having played and understanding a little bit what guys are feeling and how they're feeling and all that, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a tug of war when you have to go talk to people and bring up things that aren't necessarily the most comfortable things to talk about. The thing I appreciated about you, you were always a stand-up guy, always available, never ran and hid from anybody or anything. And I, I looked at you as you were the voice of reason. You were the leader of the football team. I mean, you were the number one guy that everybody on that football team, and not just players, I'm talking about coaches and, you know, other people look to, Willie. I mean, you you, you carried a, a huge role, man. And, uh, you know, I, I think of you as not only a great football player, but as a great human being, you know, for a lot of things that you were doing off the football field as well and in the locker room. Yeah, man, you know, the, the things we do off the field is funny. Uh, my brother back there, Floyd Walker, I met him, you know, along with uh, I think Corey Dillon, Takiyo, and I. We were all going to um, at the church he was at the time he was at was called New Jerusalem Baptist Church, and he was a youth pastor over there. So he knew where all the kids were at. So Floyd had all the kids on deck in in the area. So we started doing stuff in the city with Floyd for ten something years. You know that he did all my charity stuff. He headed it because he, he knew where all the kids were, and the kids were a big part of my. You know, still are. I, I, I love dealing with kids right now. You know, when I was younger, I used to pray to God that, like, why can't um, Michael Jordan or Oprah Winfrey come to Mobile, Alabama and show us how to make it out of there? And that's kind of one of the things I do with my academy right now. We, we take high school kids and get them scholarships, get them trained up, get them, promote them, and get them in colleges. And last year we had, like, 15 kids sign college scholarships, that's which awesome. I think was a, that's great, a huge deal for them. Really, before we continue, a yeah. uh, couple of things. You, you met Ron Boyle yeah. last summer when you were here. Yes. He's made this for you. Oh, no doubt. I, I see how the other one was at home last time, yes. 
And we do have, uh, we'll let our, our guests enjoy the refreshments and have a second. We've got a couple of prizes. Orange ticket number 341041, and Anthony Munoz Ring of Honor. And a Tim Crumry collection of signed cards and 8 by 10s Ticket number 341046. 3410 Pete Johnson. <laughs> and a Willie Anderson Ring of Honor chain. Orange ticket number 341079. 341079. Here we go. We got some people walking up to the side there. That was one of your numbers. Go ahead and go up to the side. Dave, you mentioned a lot of people that uh, looked up to Willie. Willie, if you don't mind, can you touch on um, somebody that you looked up to maybe when you were a rookie with the uh, Bengals or even somebody later in your career that uh, you looked, looked up to maybe it was whether his style of play or just uh, the way he was in the community? Yeah, Deion Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Paul, Paul asked us one day in my rookie year, he said, um, you guys watch football, you know, typical coach talking to young players about watching the game and studying the game. He went around the room and said, Willie, who, who you look up to? I said, Deion Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> and he got so mad. He was like, why Deion Sanders? But what, what about Deion? And that's somebody that I, I didn't really – I'm cool with Deion. I didn't really know Deion personally. I'm, I'm getting to the person next personally who helped me out. But I thought I, – I, I learned how good Deion was when I was in um, my sophomore year in high school, in, in college, when I asked a buddy of mine, Damian Craig, like, what makes Dion so good? And what made him so good was um, he had so much confidence into his, his speed. So I, I learned that playing tackle and cornerback was, like, similar. Like, a, corner, a great cornerback is a guy who can stay – playing one-on-one -on -one defense is a guy who can stay square while the guy's running the route the entire time. You see most cornerbacks turn and bail out real fast. And you have guys like DeMar Chase just route them up, do moves on them. What Dion was so um, confident in speed that a guy can run full speed at him, he still stay in his back pedal, he would never turn and run. So I learned as a tackle from him as a, as a young guy, tackle, the guy who can stay square the longest, like a cornerback, are the really great tackles. Because once you start turning as a tackle, a guy starts giving you multiple moves, the same as a receiver. So when I saw what Dion was doing, I said, yo, I'm gonna, my, my goal is to become – as good as Dion is one on one as a one on one pass blocker, and so that's, that's why I said that. Plus, I want to be prime time too. <laughs> <laughs> I thought because you didn't want to hit anyone. <laughs> one of the, the uh, things that uh, we've had the privilege of having you on our show a couple times, and you spoke very highly of the gentleman on your left, Mr. Paul Alexander. Can you tell us what um, how he was so instrumental in your career as a Cincinnati Bengal? Well, Paul and I grew up together. You know, what I mean, we we grew up together. I think. Um, I was his first, was that your first big draft pick? So my rookie year, all we heard about was uh, Jimbo Elliott at Michigan. You know what I mean? We heard about Jimbo Elliott, <laughs> how dominant Jimbo Elliott was. And my goal was, say, Yo, my, my goal was to get this man to quit talking about freaking Jimbo Elliott <laughs> and talk about me. And um, But we, we grew up together, man. Like, and particularly the, the, the spring of 97, um, I came back here, but this was, this was before – they had OTAs before they had off-season workouts, uh, you know, because, you know, the Bengals, we, we were the last team to get, you know, have OTAs, the last team to have off-season workouts. But so Paul, he asked me, he said, look, will you dedicate yourself for a month, like three days a week, to come to, to Spinney Field 
and you and I work on techniques. And I said, cool. And um, I still have the picture. I think Todd Archer. Remember Todd Archer? Todd Archer, yeah. That wrote for the um, – he, He's down with Dallas now. Dallas, he he writes for the Dallas Cowboys so now. Todd yeah. did the story, and he took a picture of me in my sweatsuit with Paul Pass rushing me. So for like three weeks, Paul and I just sat there. After, it was going to my second season. We sat there and went over all the techniques and different calls and different things, pass rushing and run blockings. That that's that day in spring for that month, we trained for all that time and we developed all the techniques that he and I did for the next twelve years, and then he kept doing for the next twenty some years. So that's kind of why I know all his techniques, I know all this stuff because we kind of helped develop those things in '97 that spring. And he, he was just teaching me, <clears throat> and like with most offensive line coaches, you rarely see old line coaches get in front of guys and rush themselves. Like Paul would actually rush against you. And we just be banging his ass. We hit him hard as hell. Like I'm trying to hit him hard as I can. I think and I smoked you a couple <laughs> times. <laughs> but he just taught me football, man. As a young kid, and I think a lot of times today, a lot of offensive line coaches they don't have the time that we had back then because I think now they have a certain amount of time that they can meet and and talk to guys. So I think offensive line players getting harder to develop guys because there's, there's less time than a guy like me had going to my second year, which I learned so much football. I was actually changing from left to right, which it sounds crazy, which to me is the most crazy thing ever. I was playing a left tackle as a rookie, playing really good. And I switched over to right tackle because just the times, you know, we had bigger guys over my side and defensive ends. We ran the ball to the right. And so he was basically teaching me how to play right tackle. You know what I mean? After being a left tackle. But we, we learned, I learned so much stuff that spring and we just kind of, we clicked for the next, I mean, it's rarely a guy gets the same coach for 12 years of his career, you know, so. Hey. My God. There you go. Hey, Willie. Hey, that's awesome. That is awesome. So, Willie, we're going to talk about some of the Hall of Fame here in a second with yeah. uh, Lap and, and Coach Paul here. But before we do, there's stories you can share and there's stories you can't share from the locker room. So <laughs> get, give a funny story to the fans that are watching right now live on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and the fans here at the Holy Grail. Give us a story that you're able to share, PG-13, PG-13, Willie. So, so I've give told, us a good I've, one. I've told Jim some stories. So Jim, Jim, Jim know the story that I can't talk about. Right. <laughs> but um, I'll tell you something funny. Like, uh, you guys remember um, a, a, a name from the past. You guys remember uh, Renard Wilson? Renard, yeah. So Renard was Renard's my guy, man. Country boy, funny guy. Florida State. Florida State. So you guys, you guys remember when um, when Anthrax came out? Remember Anthrax? Yep. So, so Anthrax came out and we shut down all of our um, mail. There was no more mail coming to the Bingo facility. They threw all our mail away. <laughs> so there was no social media or you know Twitter or anything for us. Isaac Curtis. That's a real Isaac Curtis right Sweet there. Sweet eyes, <laughs> man. And Reggie. Legend. Reggie Williams. And Reggie Williams. And you know what? Hey, as we uh, – I'm sorry. I don't yeah, want to yeah, interrupt yeah, you, yeah. really, but, hey, let's give it up for Iceman. Isaac Curtis is here, guys. What up, Ice? What's the word? Let's see if we can fit Ike up here. And we also have another special guest on his way up here. Rich, what's up, man? How you doing? Reggie, Rich. Reggie, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. My Facebook partner is Reggie, Reggie Williams right here. Reggie? My Facebook friend, right? My guy, right? Here. There you go. <laughs> Got me a little bling, too, man. 
check my event. All righty, let's give a round of applause to our two Ring of Honor inductees on stage here. All right, thank you. We appreciate uh, you joining us. We also want to give a special welcome to Georgia Williams over there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Reggie. Bonus guests. So we said we were going to be bonus guests tonight, so we appreciate everyone uh, joining us. Dave, you want to go ahead and uh, start it off with um, Mr. Isaac Curtis? Yeah, let's, let's do that. This guy, man, where do you begin? Isaac Curtis. You know, Isaac Curtis could have gold medals around his neck as an Olympic gold medal champion. Isaac Curtis ran a 9-300 back in the day when he was at Cal. He beat he, the guys who won the gold medal. He beat straight up. Beat him. Could have been on the Olympic, uh, on the Olympic team. How, how tough a decision was that not to go to the Olympics? And you were transferring at that point from Cal to San Diego State? Well, actually what happened that year um, in 72 – I was transferring from Cal, and I was actually a running back. So, and I was transferring to San Diego State. I was supposed to go to the Olympic trials. Uh, Eddie Hart, who was uh, my teammate at Cal, at, uh, in 70 when we won the National Track and Field Championship, we ran one, two, and 100. We were the two top collegiate sprinters in the country. But, um, but being, my, uh, being my senior year when I transferred, going to a new program, learning a new position, and I was a football player first. I mean, I loved track, but I was a football player first. So it was like, if I made the team, I wasn't going to go because, you know, a football was, was my first love. And so I, I, I did not even go to the trials. Um, and I went straight to San Diego. And, and that was uh, Don Coriel. That was Don, coach, Don, right? Don Coriel. At San Diego at the yeah. time. So running back, man. That's where this guy, the fun started after he caught the football. I mean, he made some unbelievable plays, run after catch, yards after catch. But like, like say, you weren't a track guy trying to play football. You were a football player that had world-class speed. You would catch the back half of the football, man, like you had glue on your fingers. Uh, you, were you always a, a real good catch of the football? No, I just catch it wherever they throw it. I try, but, man. but uh, no, I was always, I could always catch the ball. And that's, that was one reason that, uh, I can always catch the ball very, you know, well. Um, and one reason that I, you know, I transferred, I wasn't real happy with, with Cal. I was a running back. I was more of a blocking back. You know, I'm running the lines. I'm kicking out. I'm kicking out. I'm kicking out on I'm kicking out on linebackers like Reggie. Man, and this crazy. Match, you know, and I said, this is something wrong with this pitcher. That's crazy, uh, man. And uh, wide receiver was a much more um, natural position for me. And, uh, so when I transferred down to, to San Diego State with Don Correal, uh, it was probably the best move I ever made. So unbelievable career, unbelievable numbers. But here's a couple of numbers I want to throw out there. This guy averaged over 17 yards a catch for his career, not in a game, not for a season. We're talking about for your career. That's ridiculous. He had back-to-back -back seasons where he averaged over 21 yards a catch. Back-to-back -back season. Over 21 yards of catch for an entire season, two straight years. He was unbelievable. And that's when, I mean, if we threw the ball 25, 30 times, that was a ton. That was a lot. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't, didn't throw the ball that Yeah, you didn't throw the ball that much. You know, really. I mean, if you caught, if you caught 30, 40, 50 balls, that it was, was a lot. big year. Yeah. You know, I mean, guys now, you know, they'll catch 100 balls. We weren't even targeted that much in the, in the, in the season. 
you know, and, and even then, I mean, when I first came to the league, we had 14 games, you know, but, um, but, you know, there's a lot of things that make that happen, you know, and uh, I had a pretty good quarterback in uh, Kenny Anderson and, no doubt. you know, and, and everything, as you know, Dave, everything starts up front. That's right. Big word. Everything starts up front. You know, That's we right. had guys that protected Kenny and gave us time and, and we were able to work downfield. So it, it all it all comes together. It's yeah. a, it's a it's a team it's a team thing. You're one of the rare players in sports that can say there was a rule change. It was called the Isaac Curtis rule. Paul Brown went to the competition committee and said, Hey, this is ridiculous. We got guys like the guy I have that is scintillating me, and he can put on a show. Fans want to see big plays like this. Because I remember, I remember Pittsburgh were playing one time. You came back in the huddle, and you were like, "Dude, this Mel Blunt, this guy's a linebacker-looking dude, just like chopping me <laughs> ten yards down the field. He's taking my legs out from under me. It's crazy." What oh, they yeah. allowed you, yeah. what they uh, allowed DBs to do. Well, back yeah, back then, um, you know, we're open game. As long as the ball was in the air, they can do whatever they want to do to you. So right. they they would cut me. They would cut you. They can hit you. They can. You know, throw a, throw an elbow at you. As long as that ball was in the air, uh, you know, you're 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 a free game. So but, the, uh, that, and that's what would happen. I would. Uh, I, I think when it first started, I think the first year when we went to the playoffs, we played the Dolphins, and uh, I don't know if you remember a running back named Essex Johnson. Yeah, Essex Johnson blew his knee out probably the first series, and then the whole focus came in our offense was this. Not to try to cover me or or contain you, you know, with zones. It was just take them out, and then they do. They they would send a cornerback out. They just try to cut you. They put a cornerback over my over my head, play bump and run. Outside linebacker would come and try to cut you, and so teams start 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 doing start doing that, and uh, which just kind of got a little little crazy. But um, yeah, yeah. So but, Paul Brown went to the competition committee and pled the case, and that became the. Five-yard rule, you know, you could chuck, reroute, yeah. and all that in the five-yard area, but hands off, supposedly, you know, after that. And it's kind of sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But, I mean, what, what does that mean that you you had that big an influence on Paul Brown, who had that big an influence on the league, where today's game is the way it is now because of the Isaac Curtis rule, basically? Well, I, you know, I mean, it, it really has opened the game up, you know. Um, anything for the better, too, because um, – you know, a lot of the things that they did, like I say, they, they can cut us, they cut, cut your legs out, and even even with us, crack back, and you can't even crack back and cut cut legs out. But it has opened the game up and made it a, more of a passing league. And like I say, guys are catching a, a lot of passes, and it makes it much better for spectators and fans to look at because it's it's wide open, and uh, it's not a, you know, 10 to, 10 to, 10 to 11, yeah. 10, <laughs> 10 to 9 scores. Right. Anymore. It's, it's wide enough. open. Guys are... Teams are scoring. So, a uh, question for both of our Ring of Honor members, and it kind of ties into our current Bengals. Uh, Isaac, looks like Joe Burrow brought chemistry with Jamar Chase and developed very quickly chemistry with T. Higgins. How quickly did you develop that chemistry with Ken Anderson and Willie on the offensive line? All we're hearing about right now is communication, communication, communication. How long did it take you to adapt? To you, new teammates, and did you have a particular right guard that uh, you communicated well with? So, if each of you could answer that, it it took um, it took some time, but we you know we we did a lot of work um, because I was a young wide receiver. Like I said, I I uh, had only been playing wide receiver my senior year in college, so I had a lot a uh, lot to learn, 
And uh, so I got with Kenny. We we uh, did a lot of after practice, just working on our timing. Uh, me just learning the system and understanding what uh, what 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 we were trying to do, what our offense was trying to do, what what you know. So it it, it took a lot of time, but um, we finally we finally worked it out. <laughs> so. Um... Fortunate and unfortunate for me, I came in the league with uh, a coach with Paul who all we did was walkthroughs, and then uh, at, the, at the end of my career at Baltimore, we all we did was walkthroughs again. But early on with Paul, I think Paul drafted, uh, I was the first round pick. My boy Ken Blackman was the third round. Then Rod Jones was seventh. And then Brock was a free agent. So in that room, he had I think all four was made up. Well, I don't, I don't know if Brock, Brock played his rookie year, but Ken played. I played. Rod Jones played. So Rob was, so Paul was dealing with three rookies playing in the draft class, and we he played all three of us. So what I hated so much was we at Spenny Field. We would go out. Um, I think at lunchtime. I think we go at lunchtime. We have everybody out there, and we would just do all these different drills while everybody else was was inside doing doing everything else, chilling, eating, whatever. We were outside doing pass set five technique, pass set this, go over, do a switch game, game. But what it did was it really helped us out. And he was like, yo, I'm playing three freaking rookies. You know what I mean? We, we had Joe Walters. We had Derrick Brills. Uh, but you playing three rookies. I was playing left tackle. Uh, Ken was playing right guard. Then Rod would kind of play guard a little bit. So for a coach to play three rookies the same year, we did a lot of extra practicing, which I hated at the time. But – as I got older, that that those I told you earlier, those techniques what we did as a young kid, we developed those techniques for the next twelve years of my career, and he kept doing them for the next twenty something years. So, it, it starts with what kind of coach you got. Like I was saying, you know, you, you got to spend extra time with your guys. And you know, as I got older, Paul tell you this: the older I got, the less I wanted to practice. So, <laughs> I was I wasn't I wasn't the practice guy when I got older, but I knew the games. I, I learned the game so well that I can stand behind the huddle. And you watch football now, and guys don't practice now. Like, you know, Andrew Whitworth played, had a Hall of Fame career too. Whit, Whit wasn't practicing at, at, at the Rams. He was coming in on Thursday or Friday, and he'd go dominate on Sundays. Like, the older you get, like, coaches learn that you don't need to grind, 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 grind out, guys. But when you have a bunch of young guys, what we had in 96, I think that extra practice time, extra, extra meeting time, that, that stuff kind of naturally takes place. You know, we were lucky that, uh, well, I was a line coach for 23 years here, and Willie talked about that first time we got together and kind of taught him the things. What really was fun was that the calls you learned, the line calls you learned, were Forrest Gregg's line calls. They were the same line calls <laughs> that Dave Lapham used. Right? They, were. they were all the same calls. They, they never changed, right? And they were the same calls and techniques. Well, the techniques changed, but the calls were the same all the way through the whole time. And the players, like really, the best coach, the really the best line coach on the staff when he was playing was Willie Anderson, right? <laughs> because he knew the techniques and he would teach them to the young guys. Right. And that's hard to do because a lot of times when you get an older player, they don't want to tell the young guys the secrets because yeah. they don't want them to take their job. And Willie will remember, I, it was part of my yearly talk, that I would say, if you're an older guy and if I hear you're telling the wrong thing to the young guys, I will get rid of you.
as quickly as I can. Oh. And that happened once. And uh, anyway, so he was the best. The guy, the guy who made Andrew Whitworth what Andrew Whitworth was is Willie Anderson. That's what Witt said. Witt's very, very open about that. My guy, man, my, my little I mean, like, hey, Willie Anderson, man. Willie Anderson uh, was and the, and the guy that helped me out, man, was um, a guy who the Bengals basically drafted me to replace this guy. And Joe was so instrumental in my career, man. And I, and I don't know if Paul told him that or not, but uh, I remember my first game I started, um, I played against Chris Dolman, played really well. Second game against um, uh, Clyde Simmons, I got worked. I got destroyed. And um, I remember walking to the car at Spinney, and I was after the meeting, watch film on Mondays, and everybody kind of side-eyeing the rookie. And you're like, okay, this first-round pick, he might be a bust. And I walked to my car, going to go home, and Joe came up behind me and said, hey, you can't go in the tank right now. He said, we're going to need you the rest of the year. He said, man, that stuff happens to every freaking body. Yep. He said, you got to get over it. And the best players learn to get over it. And, like, I always tell the story, Joe really didn't know me then. He was learning me, but I, I had been through so much stuff in high school football and in Auburn that I wasn't going in the tank. But it felt refreshing that a guy that everyone knows I was drafted to take his job right. was there in the parking lot condoling me. And he really taught me football. Like Paul said, like I, my first couple of years was me doing stuff that Joe Walters was showing me. And I, I knew I was more athletic than Joe. I just wanted to have the mental capacity of football and the note-taking ability that Joe Walters had. And, right. and and I, I want to make sure everybody knows because I told Joe years ago, and he's, he, he didn't really believe me that I, I talk about Joe a lot. I said, Joe, on social media, you're not on social media. On social media, I'm always bragging on you and what you did for my career. So sure. I, I love Joe Walters and the, the culture that Paul put in that room. We carried that for 12, 13 years, man, of, of helping the young guys after that. So Yeah, the note-taking awesome. wasn't quite as good as Joe's. wasn't quite as Joe's. <laughs> really, when he would turn in his written test every Saturday, up at the top, I'd circle it like, here's a mustard stain there. Chicken wings. Right, and over here's barbecue <laughs> sauce, you know. And I'd say... <laughs> and I basically just copied Richie, Richie Bram's test. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Hey, Willie Anderson's 401k is good because of Richie Bram, right? Because you, you, you I, I, I copied everything. I copied Richie Bram 401k. Yeah, yeah. All right, so listen up, guys, real quick. We'll take just a very slight, quick break here. Hey, 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 real quick, if you remember last year, uh, our, our group, Tony the Tiger, everybody that's in our group, we raised almost $60,000 for local charities last year. To date, this year, we're approximately, Tony, about what, 37000 approximately? $37,170 towards local charities this year. So it's because of you guys. And what's crazy about this is it's not just local fans. It's national and international. We got people from Germany here today. We got people from England in the back of it. England, raise your hand back there. England. We got people from North Dakota. We got people from all over the place coming in town. It's not just locally, but across the country, internationally supporting well, you, Westchester. Come on. You're like 10 minutes away. Come on, man. <laughs> Hey, but uh, real quick, tonight, uh, for the last week and a half, we've been working with the Alzheimer's Association. We've raised over $10,000 last year in a two-week period for the Alzheimer's wow. Association. And Marie. So, hey, uh, we're get, well, there's a huge prize pack here. It's the Ring of Honor prize pack that if you follow us on social media, you've seen it. Uh, and Marie, hold that, uh, that Bengal orange and black. Uh, if you want to buy a raffle at all, uh, and support the Alzheimer's Association, please say Anne Marie. Uh, she's going to take care of us and, and get you, get you a... a uh, a what now? That's right. Yeah, yeah, get a duck in the pond if anybody knows what I'm talking about. So real quick, a few years ago, the Bengals celebrated the 50th 
anniversary, and they put the top 50 players. And obviously, these guys up here on stage were all on it. And there's another guy that was number 12 on that list of 50. And let's give it up for one of my favorite linebackers in the history of the Cincinnati Bengals, Reggie Williams. So Reggie is coming yeah. in to coming in town to support his Ring of Honor recipients, his buddies, his friends. So I'm going to turn the mic over to, to Mr. Reggie Williams here. Hello, everybody. Who day, right? Let me tell you, who they started when we started playing, right, Dave? It started, that's exactly it started, right. We started, exactly we started, right. and it still lives up. And Cincinnati Bengal fans deserve everything, including a Super Bowl championship. So, so I, am, I am very pleased to be here to support Isaac Curtis, one of the greatest players in Cincinnati Bengal history. Absolutely. So explosive. Most deserving of being a Ring of Honor inductee. So all I really want to do is really just uh, congratulate you great fans for driving so much energy around the Cincinnati Bengals last year. And this year is this year to get it done, all right? If, if you guys and gals remember, we got a Super Bowl special with Chris Collinsworth, Kenny was on, Reggie was on. Reggie by far gets the best dressed award. He had that big collared shirt, flowers. Reggie gets the best dressed award to ever appear on Bengal Gym and Friends. So congratulations to that, Reggie. So I, I so if anybody look, man, I am just intrigued with the Bengals of the 1970s, uh, most underrated, uh, some of the most underrated teams in Cincinnati football history from the 70s. Is there a kid here? Middle name Curtis. Is there a kid here with his middle name, Kurt? I, camera stand up. Hold that jersey up, son. Hold it up. I got four boys. All four of my boys have a middle name. And this one right here is my youngest. His middle name is Cameron Curtis Foster right here. There you go. Hey. <laughs> he is, he's my ugliest kid for sure. Look at him, though, man. I don't even know him, but then he's talented. <laughs> He was a baller back in the day. Baller back in the day. So Isaac, tell everybody, hey, if everybody remember, hey, we post a lot of old videos from the seventies, and I'm just intrigued about. I love what the Cincinnati Bengals are doing right now with the history of this organization, tying it into everything they're doing today. But we post a ton of videos from the seventies and eighties and nineties of Bengal legends that we can't forget about. We'll never forget these guys, and they need to know that we support them and we fight for them. But anybody remember Isaac Curtis? What he did after a touchdown? What did he do after a touchdown? Behind the shoulder spike. So I tell everybody here how that came about because it is just a classic touch uh, of every touchdown celebration you ever did. Well, actually, it started um, when I had transferred down to San Diego State. Of course, I was a I was a running back at Cal, so I went down to San Diego State. And uh, at practice, you know, a lot of the uh, receivers were all kind of hanging around, just uh, fooling around before practice, and some of the guys were saying. You know, if they score, what they were going to do. They had different kind of touchdown dances and this and that. And one of the guys asked me, well, Isaac, when you score, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm not going to do much of anything. I'll just probably hand the ball back to the back to the ref, and, you know, that'll be it, you know. And he says, no, you got to do something when you score a touchdown. So anyway, he tossed me the ball, and when he, when he tossed it to me, I just threw it over my shoulder, and I said, that'll be it. And so I just kind of adopted that from uh, – 
from back uh, and when I was at San Diego. That, so, that's so, hold on. so, so you were you were Ocho before Ocho? I was Ocho before. Ocho. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I tell you, that's such a cool move. It, it's it's it, that's Isaac in a nutshell, man. Just so cool, you know. I'm trying to remember. I, I know I know one media outlet. You got Play of the Year. I think it was like fourth and four. You caught a slant, went like 44 yards. It might have been against New Orleans. You remember the play I'm talking about? You caught that ball, middle of the field, and split everybody and just. I Yeah, I think, you know what, I think it actually was the, um, I want to say it was the Cleveland. We were playing Cleveland. Cleveland was the Browns, yeah. Right. That's what I That's what I think it was. And it was so it was like, like fourth down, right? Fourth it was like fourth down, yeah. We yeah. needed to score. I think we had to win the last three or four games to get into the playoffs that year. Right. And, uh, yeah, I caught a, caught a little hook in the uh, in the middle of the field and was able to. Unbelievable. You know, lead a few uh, defensive backs and, uh, and score it. I remember you ran a reverse one time when I was a rookie, and I looked down. You were you were on one side of the field, one side of the formation. I looked down for a bit, looked back up. You're already around, you're already 20 yards downfield. The other, I'm like, what the hell was that? I mean, that was like a flash. Isaac Curtis could motor. So you ran a nine three. I ran nine three. Yeah. Man, hundred yard dash. What yeah. other what other events did you compete in? I ran two twenties. Two twenty. What'd you do? What'd you get? You know, that 20, was a 20, 20, 20, 20.5. 20.5. 220. But you know, it's, it's really Ridiculous. something because coming, coming out of high school, actually, I didn't, I wasn't even a sprinter. I was a hurdler. And even going to Cal, I was, I was a hurdler. Lower so my, my freshman, uh, my freshman year, I ended up straining a hamstring. Really? And uh, so when, when um, I was able to run again in our first meet, the coach didn't want to put a whole lot of, tension on my uh, on my hamstrings and so they said well we had a couple of sprinters that were out why don't you just run a 100 yard dash so the first 100 yard dash i ran in that meet i ran i ran nine three and i beat eddie hart who was one of the unbelievable first meet and i never went over a hurdle again i guess well, so were you <laughs> lower turned into a sprinter you were a low hurdle or I, was, high, I was a high hurdle high hurdle high hurdler and now, yeah and now, now, now i asked i asked like how long did the afro last like i thought the afro ended <laughs> In the 70s, you say he kept he, he kept rocking it in the 80s too. So, now it's a rim fro, man. Just a, there's nothing left but the rims. Unbelievable. Hey, real quick, so um, guys, I want to respect these guys' time. They have gone out of the way to be here for you, uh, the Cincinnati Bengal fans. So, I know a couple. I know Coach Alexander has a prior commitment. He's got to get out of here, so we're going to kind of let him go here. Uh, but we appreciate Coach Paul. And, and, and guys, and give, give Coach Paul a round of applause here if you could, guys. Thank you, Coach. Be careful. Help him down here. Hey, we have another Cincinnati Bengal legend. Who remembers that 19? Who's old enough, like me, to remember that 1981 season? The first Bengal Super Bowl. All right. We got a bunch of old people in here. I'm just saying. Hey, so against the San Diego Chargers, regular season, don't let, don't let Dan Fouts complain about playing here in the Freezer Bowl because we kicked their butts. In San Diego, on the road, 44-17. Yeah, thank you. 44-17. Hey, there was an interception return for a touchdown that game, and it wouldn't have happened unless somebody threw a block for him. I saw that block on, on video. 102, I think 102 yards, Tom? 102-yard interception return for a touchdown against San Diego, against Dan Fouts, and let's welcome Lewis Bleeden to the show. Lewis? Ah, you notice I need help getting up here, and I'm going to need help getting here. Um, I'm glad to see these guys. Like you know, no one's going to come down here. But Isaac Curtis is here, and 
Rezzy, uh 57 is here, so I had to come down and see these guys. Uh, you can critique the Bengals and complain about a lot of things. And I had a phone conversation with uh, Big Willie earlier today. Uh, but you can't com uh, uh, argue with them about this. Kenny Anderson, Anthony Munoz, um, Willie Anderson, and Isaac Curtis. As far as I'm concerned, they got it right. Absolutely. So uh, congrats to these, uh, these four legends. Now, I know Isaac was talking about he ran like a, what, what was it, nine what? What you ran? Nine something. Nine what, three? <laughs> See, that's what you get for going first. I ran like a nine one six. <laughs> so you can't change, so mine is faster than yours. I'm going to tell you guys. Uh, um, what was your 40 yard dash, though? 40 yard dash was like a 406, <laughs> something like that. Um, I can remember my, uh, it was my second, my rookie year, I was hurt. And my second year, I was having a pretty good, pretty good camp. The problem was they've got Kenny Riley on the right side, and they had me backing up Kenny Riley. Well, you, no one's going to come in here and beat Kenny Riley out. So the guy on the other, other side was Morgan, Melvin Morgan. Uh, Lamar Parrish was gone, and they were uh, Melvin Morgan was the heir apparent. So I was having a very good camp uh, that year. So it was one practice. Isaac will remember because we talk about this, and this is why he says I owe him for life. Um, we had ran a pattern. He had ran a pattern, I covered him, and probably knocked the ball down or something like that because I covered Isaac very well in practice. It was under throne. Yeah, it was under throne. I can show you a photo, too. So we ran a pattern, and as Isaac Curtis was running back to the huddle, he looked at the defense, defensive back coach, and he says, you have your best two corners comp competing on the same side. Charlie Winner. Charlie Winner. That's what he told him. He didn't tell me he was going to say this because he saw something in me that they weren't seeing right away. It was either that next practice or the next day, they lined me up on the left side to compete against yep. Melvin Morgan and I beat him out. Wow. All because of this guy. There you go. Wow. So I love him. It was all because of your talent. Yes, yes. That's the second reason I love him. The first reason that I love him is that normally when we go out, he's buying all the damn drinks. So, <laughs> so I never told him that, but you, you got to love a guy who does this. So congrats to these two guys, two of the best, not only Cincinnati Bengals, but in the entire National Football League. All right? Thank you. But Dave, um, when you think about the history of this franchise, Paul Brown's franchise, and all the great players that have played there. Pro bowlers, you know, through the good times and the bads, but also some very great teams. We have two here, and Louis Breeden and Reggie Williams, and yourself who contribute. What's it say about these two guys that aside, you know, Paul Brown being a coach, but you have Anthony Munoz, Ken Anderson, and Ken Riley, and these two guys are next. I mean, that's elite company with so many great players. What does that speak to about their career here and what does that speak to and help their case for being into Canton? Because they both belong there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they both belong in Canton. I mean, Will, Willie Anderson, um, Bill Cower has come to his uh, complete his case, say that he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Everybody knows Bill Cower, head coach, Pittsburgh Steelers. Michael Strahan, who's a media, he's everywhere in the media. And he'll say Willie Anderson should be in the Hall of Fame. A lot guys that 
tried to defend this guy, Isaac Curtis, that are in the Hall of Fame, Haynes, Mike Haynes, others. Isaac Curtis should be in the Hall of Fame. When your peers that are in the Hall of Fame are saying it's a crime that these guys aren't in the Hall of Fame, that's that's when you realize that there's an injustice being done. Honestly, these guys don't get in the Hall of Fame at some point. You've got to rename it the Hall of Shame because it's a damn shame. That's what it is. It's not the Hall of Fame. It's the Hall of Shame, man. So... Uh, you know, it's it's a matter it's a matter of time. There, I think, steps being taken in the right direction. And like we said before, everybody that uh, that has been um, involved with this Ring of Honor is going to be honored in the Ring of Honor. And not only great football players, but just tremendous people. You know, I mean, it's like that. that no one no one ever says a bad word about any of these guys. You know, I mean, it's like they, these guys were. As Paul Brown used to say, solid citizens. You know, I mean, not not just not just great football players, but great human beings. You know, um, positive contributors to society in a, in a, in a bunch of levels, a bunch of different ways. And that's you can't ask for any more than that, honestly. So we got a special night here. This is a busy week. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Willie Anderson, Isaac Curtis, Reggie Williams, Lewis Bowen. Let's give them all a round of applause and taking time out of their schedule to join us tonight. Thank you. We're going to let these guys go. Stay tuned. We're going to have more raffle prizes for everybody. Again, these guys are on the schedule, so we appreciate everyone for joining us tonight. One other thing, we want to thank our friends at Gold Star Chili, our friends at Bedford Sports, our friends at Cincinnati Music Accelerator, our friends at Chatterbox, everybody that made this possible tonight. Stay tuned. Drink those Kenny Bay drinking lagers, courtesy of our friend Dell at 16 Lots. I'm going to turn it over to Jimmy. Hey, guys, hey, uh, these guys are going to get out of here. A few autographs are going to do. But, hey, real quick, we cannot end a talking football with Bengal Jim and Friends segment without saying a Who Day chant. So I need this on three as loud as we can. Here we go. One, two, three. Stay tuned here. We're going to have all the raffle tickets. We still have lots of great door prizes to give away. We also have the uh, door prizes, Tony, from those that uh, donated to the Alzheimer's Association. Tony. We also have the T-shirts. The next thing we're going to give away is a Gold Star gift card. 037, orange ticket 037. Thank you to our friends at Gold Star for that. If you have ticket 037, come on up here. $25 gift card. Thank you to our friends at Gold Star. Again, we do have our T-shirts for sale. If you want one of the untamed T-shirts, stop up and see us. Our next one is a Tim Crumlai package, 007, 007. 